You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Strength Exchange. Enjoy. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we receive from your spirit this morning. We give you a full right of way to change and rearrange and shift and move in our presence to do what you need to do to lift us higher, to take us into a new level of life, a new level of glory, a new level of knowing you and experiencing you. Your very spirit is here this morning. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, nothing's impossible with you. And we put in your hands all the things we thought were impossible. And we say, be glorified, Holy Spirit, in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you believe me if I told you that you don't have any problems? Well, it's true. The only problem you could possibly have is that you don't realize how good God is and how much he loves you and what he's done for you. When you realize all those things, the things that you thought were problems, you begin to realize they're just opportunities for the glory of God to show up in your life. They're just opportunities for me to believe God and apply his promises to my situation and circumstances. That's all they are. And, and, and what's wonderful about these things that we used to look at as problems is God always causes us to triumph over them. So right in the midst of them, we begin to worship him and thank him and rejoice and sing and bless his name because he's moving on our behalf. He's working all things out for our good. He's causing us to be victorious. Isn't that wonderful? We've got to want to impart something to you today, a strength. And to have a relationship with God is to exchange your strength for his strength. And that's what the title of our message is today, Strength Exchange. And uh, this, this book has changed my life. This is the Holy Bible and not necessarily this particular printing of it, but all the printings I've had since 1989. This one I got, I think, last summer ago or so, so it's relatively new. But the content of it. But I want you to know that even though the Bible contains accurate history and science and in it we see the creation of of time and space and matter and we see the fundamental elements of truth and the foundations of life in the Bible none of these things are the purpose the primary purpose for the Bible God didn't assemble this over the ages to give us a history book or a science book The primary purpose, now you can learn those things through this book, but the primary purpose for this book is to enable you to experience Him. That's the primary purpose for this book. To reveal to you how good He is, how much He loves you, and what He accomplished for you through His Son to reveal to you who you become when you put your faith in Christ. That's the purpose of this book. The primary purpose of God's Word is always relationship. 
always relationship with you. He gives his word in the hope that you'll believe it and come close to him. It's important to remember that because this book has been mistaught over the years. It's God's longing, the longing of his heart, that you would believe in his love for you, that you would taste and experience it every day, that your faith in him would open the door for his strength to fill your spirit, soul, and body every day. But you can't have a relationship with someone if you don't know what they're all about, right? If you don't know their intentions. I, you may have seen over the year, maybe you, be, you got into a relationship, but you didn't know the intentions of the one you were in the relationship with and found out the hard way. That won't happen with God. There's nothing twisted about him. He's 100% love. It's his nature. He doesn't know how to betray you. He doesn't know how to gossip about you. He doesn't know how to spill the tea about you. He doesn't know how to lie about you. He doesn't know how to hurt you. He doesn't know how. He never has and he never will. He'll never do anything bad to you. But you've got to know that yourself. You've got to know that in your own heart. So far too often, the intentions of God have not been preached. What is God's primary intention for you? To love you. To love you into wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. That's what he's about, in case you're wondering. Now you know. Now you know when you're spending time with him what he's up to, to make you whole. To love you into wholeness. Not to pressure you. Not to condemn you. To love you into freedom and wholeness. To see any bondages in your life crumble. To see any darkness in your life dispelled and vanish. To see you turn from, the, from, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to his power, to God's power. And be made whole. But let's talk about this book for a little bit as we talk about exchanging our strength for his strength. Because far too often, this book has been uh, taught as a legalistic manual that has produced legalism in countless, or a lot of churches, I should say, far too many, rather than a love letter from God. Same book but very different teachings coming from it. The issue is not the Bible. The issue is man's ignorance of God's nature. Right? Knowing the Bible is not the key to knowing God. Knowing God is the key to understanding the Bible. You can't understand it if you don't know that He is love and how good He is. And it's amazing how many believers have been in church their whole life and don't know God. How many ministers have gone to seminary and have doctorates in theology and they don't know God? Isn't that amazing? Why? Because God is all about the heart, the core, the deepest intentions of a person's being. 
So this is an interesting book, and we divide it into two sections, right? We say the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's fine, but really, if you look at it, what, let me ask you this question. What do you think of when I say the Old Testament? What comes to mind? The law, right? Absolutely. But what's interesting, so most believers, when you'll say the Old Testament, they think of the Ten Commandments, right? But there's a whole lot more to the, the, to the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. In fact, with the, what, when they, we say the Old Testament, what we're really talking about is the Mosaic Covenant, which didn't get put into effect until about 2,500 years after God made man. So in the, in, in the Old Testament, if you go all the way back to the beginning, God made man, Adam and Eve, and He didn't give them Ten Commandments. They had no tablets of stone. They had no Levitical priesthood. All that He gave them was His Word. He gave them authority over the earth. He gave them the entire earth. All of creation was theirs. He only gave them one commandment, and it wasn't etched in stone. He just spoke it to their hearts. And he said, you, all this is for you. Enjoy, be fruitful, multiply. But there's one tree I want you to stay away from because if you eat of it, you'll die. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one tree. And that was the only uh, thing that they were to not do. And this is long before Moses. Thousands of years before Moses. Now, we know that Satan was in the earth, and his plan, he had no authority in the earth. Adam and Eve had authority in the earth. But Satan's plan was to try and steal that authority so that he could destroy the earth. And he knew the only way he could steal that authority from Adam was to deceive, try and twist their concept of God, to try and get them to think that God was not good that God had an, an evil plan, that God was somehow trying to betray them. All that God asked of them was that they believed Him. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of relationship He's always desired with you and me, that we simply take Him at His word. What's the big deal with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We're not made for it. We can't handle it. We weren't made to comprehend and figure everything out. You can't do it. Man thinks he can, but he can't. I've been amazed in my short life of 50 years and being in a uh, medical scientific family and hearing all the conclusions of different studies. This study reveals that, and this study shows that this causes that. And then 10 years later, um, actually... We found that that's not true, but we think it's now this, and, and maybe it's that. And man is doing his best uh, to, to figure things out with his intellect, but you'll never be able to be whole through your intellect. We weren't made that way. God made us spirits. We have a soul, which is our mind, our intellect, our emotions, and we're living in a body, but those are just tools, equipment that we have. 
But the primary way that we realize and experience truth is by receiving what God says through simple faith. It's just that simple. So we know what happened. Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he started, he presented an argument to them, much like uh, the media does today. He began accusing God of things God didn't do. He began painting a picture of God that was twisted. And it was a good argument. He's good at it. I'm amazed at how the media creates controversies that really don't exist. Just through an accusation. We're seeing it now more than ever. So-and-so accused so-and-so of this, and a controversy breaks out. But there's no evidence of it. Right? We're seeing that in politics, right? Another accusation against the president. No evidence of it, but another accusation. And they're spending millions of dollars trying to discredit someone because they don't agree with a political view. We see it in the sports realm. We see it in every realm of life because this is what Satan tries to do is twist and distort and get your focus off of the goodness of God. So that's what he did. And because Adam and Eve chose to believe Satan's words, they put themselves under the authority of Satan. Satan, in Romans 5.17, it says, Satan stole the sovereignty over the earth. He became the God of this world. And this world became an awful place, and it still is today. Satan is the God of this world. God is not controlling what's going on in the earth. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus never taught us that. I know there are ministers who teach that, but I'm staying with Jesus. How about you? God doesn't cause tragedies. He doesn't bring bad things into your life to teach you things. That's a bunch of Oscar Mayer baloney, right? We sang that last week. It's all an attempt to twist your understanding of God. So, what ha- so then we had from Adam, Adam lost everything. Death entered the human race. Murder, crime, evil, storms, tornadoes, tsunamis, earthquakes. The earth shifted on its axis and, and it became a, 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 a cursed planet. But from Adam to Noah, do you know how many years passed from Adam to Noah? It's just about a thousand years. I'm going to round it off just for simplicity's sake. It's about a thousand years from Adam to Noah, maybe 1100, somewhere in there, 1056, but something like that. Okay? And what happened in Noah's day? Only, only about 1100 years after Adam, God said to, that, that the intentions and thoughts of man, of every human being on earth, were only evil. Can you imagine that? Wow. The intentions of every human being on earth were only evil. That's how dark it got on the earth. Except for Noah and his family. So he spoke to Noah. Again, there's no Ten Commandments. There's no tablets of stone. There's no Levitical priesthood. For a thousand, over about 1,100 years, he's speaking to man. He's wanting relationship. He's wanting man to believe how good he is. And man got so far from him that every thought he had and every intention he had was evil. And he, and he found Noah. He said, Noah, listen, I've, I've, got to, I've got to save mankind through you. And I want you to build an ark. 
a boat because I'm, I, I've got to, I've got to bring, a, bring water into the earth to cleanse it and to remove the evil from it so that mankind will not perish. And I'm going to do that through you and your family. Can you imagine being Noah? I, I sometimes try and think what that would be like. They say it took him maybe 90 to 100 years to build the ark. They have a life-size replica of that in Kentucky right across the border of Cincinnati. And I, I haven't been there yet, but I've seen pictures of it, and it's, it's on my list to go. But it, 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 you imagine what people must have thought of this man. He's working, you know, week after week, year after year on a boat because he's saying that God is going to flood the earth and this is going to provide salvation for the human race. Lulu! Right? They must have just thought, stay away from this guy. He's, uh, he's lost it, right? He's lost it. But he was hearing from God. And God used the, him and that ark to save the human race. And then from Noah to Abram, how many years was that? Anybody know from Noah to Abram? It was about 900 years. Okay, Still, no Ten Commandments. No Mosaic Covenant. Moses wasn't around yet. No Levitical priesthood. Now there's a man named Abram. Again, God's speaking to people, hoping someone will just believe him and take him at his word. So Abraham grows up in his family that worships pagan gods, moon worshipers and worshiping other things. And he speaks to Abram and he says, I want you to walk away from that and get to know me. Follow me. No ten, no, no, no ten Commandments, no tablets of stone. He just spoke to a man, and Abram responded to his voice. And he left the pagan traditions of his family, and he followed God. No Ten Commandments. And he walked with God, and Romans tells us that Abram is the father of our faith. God cut a covenant with Abram, who became Abraham. That's the covenant that we look to. Okay, that's our covenant that Jesus came as a result of. It was a foreshadowing of the new covenant Jesus would cut with God the Father. All right? So how long after Abram was the, new, the Ten Commandments? How long after Abram were the Ten Commandments given? Anybody know? About 430 years. So we've got about 22,500 years of human history, no commandments, no Ten Commandments. Well, the Old Testament's only about 4,000 years of, of man's history. From Adam, from you know, Genesis all the way through Malachi, we can trace the genealogy because it's so accurate. It's about 4,000 years. From, from Matthew, from Jesus to our days, about 2,000 years. So out of 6,000 years of our history, only about little less, actually, like 1,490-some years with the Mosaic Law. Less than 25% of our time on earth was with the Mosaic Law. Why is it the focus of so many churches? You'd think that's what the Bible's all about. It's less than 25% of the time we've been on earth. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law. 
And if you'll read in the New Testament and in Galatians and Hebrews, you'll see it said that the law could not set anyone free. The only reason God gave to man the law, if you'll look at it, man's heart became so hard and so stubborn. He believed that he didn't need God, that he could do whatever he wanted with his life. And it got to the point, God says, listen, they're going to destroy themselves. I've got to reveal to them who I am. That's what the Ten Commandments is all about. He doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't commit adultery. It just reveals to us the nature of God, and it reveals to us that we've missed it. Right? It reveals to us the sin that we committed in our lives, and all of us have done it. All of us have broken at least one of the big ten. Let's just be honest. We all have. Everyone has, has broken. And what, what the law was perfect. And God declared that if you break one of these, you've broken all of them. No one could fulfill the law. No human being. That's why God sent his son to earth as a man to fulfill it for us. Okay? So all the law could do was reveal our sin to us and our need for a Savior, but it couldn't change us. It couldn't save us. Okay? Very important to understand this. And, and that's why we, we, we promote uh, this book and other books by Joseph Prince. We're doing this at our get-togethers, Destined to Reign. We did Grace Revolution last session. Because the real gospel has been hidden uh, behind walls of legalism. Paul calls it the gospel of grace. And that's exactly what it is. That Jesus came on your behalf and he paid full price for your sins. He fulfilled the requirements of, of the law. He took the punishment for your sins. And that through simple faith in Jesus, not your works, not your efforts, you receive God's righteousness and become a new person. That's the gospel. And that's what's been hidden. The only way you can experience freedom, the only way that you can experience wholeness is by receiving God's grace. The salvation He has provided is not accessible through your efforts, by you doing more good deeds. It's not. The only way you can receive it is by faith in His grace. We're saved by grace through faith. We believe in what Christ did for us. Is this making sense? We doing okay? You know, there are many ministers who would be very, on, very tense right now because they're so caught up in legalism. They don't know how to, to live in grace how to impart grace to others. They say, yeah, we're saved by grace, but what they really teach is when you come to know Christ, you better get your act together. And they make it harder than it was before you knew Christ. Say, man, no thank you. I'll just go back to the way I was. I felt better. You're laying these loads on me that I can't carry. And that's what Jesus said to the experts in the Scriptures. 
He's saying you're putting loads on people's backs that they can't carry. You can't carry yourself. You travel the world to make uh, proselytes, converts, uh, and they become twice as much a son of hell as you. This is a big deal. Legalism is a big deal. It ruins people's lives. It's caused people to run away from church. They don't want anything to do with it. Why? Because of legalism. They don't, they haven't, that their experience with the church or churches has been legalistic. I don't blame them for running. I did too. Thank God, God opened my eyes to know the real Jesus. So God wants you to experience this real Jesus. In John 1.17, it says, uh, how does it say it? The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Came, a person comes. Jesus is the grace and truth of God. Moses just handed people stone tablets. Didn't change anybody's life. The person of grace and truth came into the earth. That's who we want you to know at Highway Church. Okay? Let's go to John chapter 17. You're still awake, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God wants you to experience His grace. The real truth about His love for you. God wants you to stop trying to live life with your own strength and your own wisdom. He wants to be your strength and your wisdom. John chapter 17. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is found in verse 3. Jesus defines eternal life for us. And he says, now this is eternal life. Working hard to try and get to heaven someday. That's what legalism teaches. It's not what Jesus taught. How does Jesus define eternal life? Knowing God. He's talking to his father when he said this. In the presence of his disciples. He said this is eternal life. That they, these human beings, might know you. I like how the passion says it. It says eternal life means to know and experience you. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel is all about. If we preach the gospel, people will run to church instead of running from church. I love that I I get to hear so many different generations and situations. I just can't wait to get here on Sunday. You know, I love get-together. I love getting here. It's changing my life. It's so refreshing to hear because the grace of God does that. There's no bondages here. We have no weights to lay on you. We exhort you to lay every weight on Him and to live weight-free. There are no weight watchers here. (laughs) The Weiss New Testament says... And this is the eternal life. 
namely that they might be having an experiential knowledge of you. I love that. The only genuine God. I like genuine leather. It's amazing stuff. It looks better the longer you have it. You know? But have you ever had fake leather and thought it was genuine? And the top starts peeling away? You're like, that's, what, that's what religion's like. It's like you come in, you want, you want to try and get some relief from your sins and the stuff of the world, and you come in and you put your hope in, you think, okay, it's going to, and then all of a sudden it's like the, the cover peels away, and man, now I've got these burdens of trying to earn my salvation, and and fix myself, and fix my sins, and now i got to do this, and I can't do that, and I've got to do that, and I can't do this, and man, and that's just not who Jesus is. He's the one who sets you free from all that. I like this word experience, so I looked it up on my little handy-dandy dictionary app. Let me read to you what experience is. This is eternal life that they might experience you. Experience is knowledge acquired by practical contact with. This is eternal life that they might go through each day and get to know you by practical contact with you. Knowledge acquired by practical contact with, contact with God and observation of God. Knowledge that comes through practical contact with and observation of. Experience is contact with that produces an impression on. This is eternal life that they would contact with you and your presence would be impressed upon them, that they would have a relationship with you that produces an impression in them and upon them of me, of Jesus. This is eternal life. This word experience, it comes from the Latin root word, which is also used in experiment and expert. And the Latin word means to try. But I want you to, more specifically in this, contest, in this context, it means to make severe demands on. What does that mean? When I, we moved, and moved out into the country about 10 years ago, and I share with you before I had, before I, we, I didn't have a lot of, of weeds to whack, and I got this little electric weed whacker, from Home Depot, and then we moved out to the country, and I had a forest to take care of. So I got out my little electric weed whacker, and it died on me. You know, after about a week, couldn't handle it. I put a demand on that thing it couldn't handle. So I, I did some research and went to uh, some, some specialty dealers, and I got a tool that I knew could handle the demands I would put on it. This is eternal life, that you, would, that, that you would experience the one who can supply your demands. 
the one who can handle the demands of your life. To make severe demands on. Look at John 15. Since we're in John, let's go back a couple chapters. John 15, verse 7. Have you, made, have you ever made a severe demand on God? I'm not talking about being uh, cocky or arrogant. I'm talking about totally relying on Him for the results in your life. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus said this, and I love how it's put, and I've, we're going to look at a couple translations. He said, if you abide in me, what's that mean? If you live, right? If you remain, if you stay, an abode is a home, right? If you make me your home, and my words make their home in you or abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Isn't that contrary to religion? I mean, don't you, don't you dare ask God for something. I mean, maybe every once in a while, if, if you can light enough candles and, and do enough deeds, you can maybe ask God for something. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you abide in me, my words are mine, you will ask what you desire. You see, when God's words go inside of you, it has effects on, on it affects your confidence, and you begin to ask for things that you desire. That's the heart of God. He wants to satisfy your desires. He wants to fulfill your desires with good things. Isn't that radically different from what we've been told from legalistic places? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you won't become insecure. You'll become confident. You'll ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. One rendering of this says this, You shall demand your rights, and they will leap into being for you. Amen. Who are you demanding your rights from? Not God. See, this word that's translated ask, boy, if you do a study on this little word, it really speaks of authority and confidence in Christ. That if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you won't put up with the devil's junk. You will demand your rights and they will leap into being for you. When he comes against you, you'll start you're declaring who you are and you'll stand and say, I'm not having that in my life. I'm not having that in my life. I'm not having sickness in my life. I'm not having depression in my life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my diseases. I am the healed of God. That's what this is talking about. Look at verse 8. It makes perfect sense. By this, my Father's glorified. Because you get to experience the wholeness He brings. By this is my Father glorified that you blossom, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So being a disciple is not about poverty and you making sacrifices. It's about you showing who God is in the earth. It's about your desires being fulfilled and, the, and the, the, all that God purchased for you showing up in your life. You really have to change the way you think because of what religion has taught us. It's not the gospel. This is the gospel. The Weiss New Testament says it this way. If you maintain, I like this, a living communion with me, and my words are at home in you. It takes time to build a home, doesn't it? It takes time. You don't get to know God in a day. 
And, and, and when, I, when in my walk with the Lord over the decades that I've known Him, I would look for churches that, that teach the gospel like, like you have here. And when I would found them, what, well, no matter what part of the country or world I was in, boom, I was there. Why? It takes time to build a home. I'm not going to go to church for a few weeks and leave. Now, if the church isn't giving me fresh, hot Jesus, isn't giving me the real gospel, see you later. Bye. Sorry, I, I've got a life, I've got a destiny to fulfill, and I don't need, I don't need man's reasonings because it's not going to get me there. So I, anywhere I am in the world or the country, I will scour that region within 100 miles, more if I have to, to look to see if there's a church that I can physically attend and receive this gospel. Kenneth E. Hagan said he would drive up to 500 miles if he had to, to get to a church. Why so, why so intent? Because it's that important. I don't care how far I have to drive. I've got a home to build. I've got a destiny to fulfill. And it takes time. So what I look for in a church is, first and foremost, the message that is preached. Might be really good music and well-organized and a nice building. That's all fine, but I need the, the reality of what Christ has done for me. I need the freedom and liberty and grace and truth of Christ. I need to be built up on that every time I come. And there are times I'd go and one Sunday they'd talk about grace and the next Sunday it was works. It's like, hey, you know, can we go back to what we talked about last Sunday? Right? So it takes time to build a home. It comes through this, this staying with him. This living communion, and my words are at home in you. I look, look how Jesus, I command you to what? To ask. That's how much he wants to bless you. He says, I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your heart desires. Are you seeing the heart of God towards you? There's nothing stingy about him. He's not holding anything back from you. He said, I command you to ask at once something your heart desires. Whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. And in this, my Father is glorified. You asking what your heart desires and getting it, God is glorified by that. Man, oh man, I'd have been kicked out of the church I grew up in for saying this. I would have. They said, that's ridiculous. But yet this is what Jesus taught. How did they get so far from the truth? Religious reasonings. The wisdom of man. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man trying to figure it out instead of just taking Jesus at his word. I guarantee you there will be times in your life that God will speak to you and it does not seem possible. Guarantee you. Most of the time, maybe. Because <laughs> he, he, he sees no limits. He knows no limits. When he speaks to you, he knows that he provides the power that goes with the word he's spoken. That in the word he's spoken is the power to fulfill it. So when he speaks it, it's not on you. You don't put the weight on yourself. How am I going to get this done? You just believe it. Just believe it and praise him for it. And then you let him lead you. He'll show you what you need to do when. 
But He's going to do it by His Spirit, not by your wisdom and not by your strength. Isn't that wonderful? So our role is to, to walk with Him. To simply let Him speak to us and believe what He says. No matter how impossible it seems. No matter what my circumstances in the world around is saying to me. I'm going to go with what He said to me. It's so good. What a different way of living. To make severe demands on. To ask at once something for yourself. Whatever your heart desires. By this is my Father glorified. That word experience also means to extract from. God wants you to extract life from Him. He has a limitless supply. He wants you to experience the same resurrection power that his son experienced when he went, was in hell and was made alive. You are never meant to live life in your own strength. And man has, has that's man's focus. And if you look at history and over the course of the cultures, and there became a, a time called the age of man, or the age of reason where man began to just really exalt himself. And it really it came into Western Europe and came into Western culture, this exaltation of man's intellect and abilities. But it's a dead end. We weren't made to live by our own strength and our own intellect. We need God. We need a relationship with him because he knows everything about everything all the time. He's never studied anything. He's never had to read a book on anything. He's never had to take a class on anything. He's never guessed about anything. He has no theories. He's perfect truth. He has no beginning. We said in the beginning to have a relationship with God is to exchange your strength for His. Let's go to Isaiah, and I think we'll finish up there. Isaiah chapter 40. To have a relationship with God is to exchange your strength for His strength. To have a relationship with God is to exchange your provision with His provision, your wisdom with his wisdom, your righteousness with his righteousness. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll start in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. That's not even possible. Yes, it is. He's never once been a little bit tired. And he never will be. I mean, I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> God's never taken a nap. 
He doesn't have a recliner. He has a throne. And his son is seated at his right hand. And guess what? When you put your faith in Christ, you're seated there with him. Why is he sitting down? You know, in the, in the Mosaic Covenant, about 2,500 years after God created man, when the Levitical priesthood went in to the holy place and the most holy place, there was nothing to sit on. No seats for the priests. Why? Because they had to continually work. Jesus, after he ascended from heaven and presented his blood in the heavenly tabernacle, sat down. Why? Because the work was finished. So we live in the rest of his finished work. We're seated at the right hand of God, Ephesians says, with Christ. This will change your whole life when you start thinking this way. It will take all the pressure off of you. But you gotta go, you gotta listen to Jesus. You can't listen to man or man's religion. It'll it'll steal that right from you, steal that rest right from you, and put you back into works. He does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable, the New American Standard says. That's a fun word. What's that mean? It can't be penetrated or understood by the mind of the flesh, by human reason. You can read every book on the planet. You'll never be able to penetrate his understanding. It comes by revelation through his spirit. He's got to reveal it to you. That's what preachers should preach from, revelation, not seminary education. But you can't have that unless you're in a living communion with the one who made you. That's where revelation comes from, right? From practical contact with him. When I'm figuring out how to, how to do a project at Monday at 10.30 a.m., that I've got to get done for work. When this little fitting won't go on a pipe or this part fell down in a crack somewhere or, or something on my computer is not working or, or I don't have an answer, I, I listen on the inside of the Holy Spirit. I, I have some practical contact with God in my practical life and let Him show me what to do. That's the most wonderful thing about living by faith and, and walking in divine health and, and all the things I've experienced in the last 30 years is the intimacy that you develop with God when He's the only one you're relying on. You know, there are countries who, who know that if God doesn't heal them, they're, they're going to die because they don't have what a lot of the things we have in this country. But the truth is we should all realize that, that healing is from God. And even with all of the technology we have, you still can't be made whole. No matter what procedure you have, wholeness, real wholeness, sustained, continued wholeness, physical health can only come by practical contact with the one who made you. Living communion 
with the one who never gets sick. See, if you commune with the one who never gets sick, you get healthy. Unless you believe that it's God's will for you to be that way. Another lie Satan has sold to so many churches. Jesus didn't teach that at all. He demonstrated the exact opposite of that. He said, I will be clean. Right? Go with Jesus. Don't ever base what you believe on what you've been through. Experience is not the best teacher. That's the wisdom of man talking. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher. All of us have had experiences that are contrary to God. Because Satan's the God of this world and we're living in a crazy place and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. We don't base what we believe on what we've been through or what a loved one's been through or anyone else has been through. We base what we believe on the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. And you have, to be, you have to be committed to this. Because the devil's going to try and pull you away from this. Well, what about so-and-so? You know, someone just, I've heard it over the years. People say, what about Paul in Galatians? He, 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 he said he was sick. You really got to study the scriptures. And they say he had a thorn in the flesh. Well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What does the scripture teach? you got to take your religious goggles off, all the stuff man has told you, and go with Jesus. Did Jesus ever make anyone sick in his ministry? Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. Hebrews 1.3. Did he make a mistake in his ministry? Did he forget to make someone sick? So, oh, man. Let me come back down to earth to just zap one person. And then we'll be done. Of course not. It's, it is funny. These things that are taught are just ridiculous. No, Jesus healed people. All that he asks is that they believe. He didn't ask them to get their life together. He said, do you believe I'm able to do this? That's all that he asks. I can't believe that he's going to do this in my life if I don't believe it's his will. I can't receive forgiveness of my sins if I don't know it's His will to forgive me. Based on some of the messages heard, I wouldn't know if it's God's will to forgive me. Maybe I've messed up in this area too many times. Is that what Jesus said, forgive him seven times when your brother offends you? Is that what He said, or was it 7.5? What did He say? 70 times 7. He wasn't trying to put a number on it. He's just saying... You just keep forgiving, right? Doesn't matter how many times they fail, you forgive. That's what God does. He keep, he, you're already forgiven. You're already forgiven. You're already healed. You just need to realize it. You just need to realize the truth, the reality of your living communion with Him. Inscrutable. You'll never be able to figure this out if you rely on your intellect alone. Verse 29, look at the heart of God. It sounds like John 15, 7 and 8. He gives strength to the weary. I thought he made people weary. I, I, I love it. An excellent statement at this conference we just went to. He said, God's not trying to see how much mileage he can get out of you. He wants you to enjoy him. 
He wants you to enjoy His presence. He wants you to have fullness of joy. He wants to reveal to you the destiny that will thrill your heart and inspire you to get up in the morning. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Are you seeing the heart of God here? Meditate on these scriptures. He gives strength to the weary. If you're tired, lean your whole self on him. <sighs> what strength, God? He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power, causing it to multiply and making it to abound. I love that. This has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with what you believe. You can be vigorous and strong your entire life on earth. God has provided strength for all your days. If, 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 he, if He's provided anything less, He's not God. And your concept of God is weak. He's provided total strength in your whole person for the rest of your life. You better, you better change your concept of aging. Because man has no clue of what God's provided for us. It's amazing the amount of commercials that, that and, I, and man's not, you know, they, people don't realize the darkness they're in. You know, but, but what is that, uh, the, you know, you watch like one of those old shows like Bonanza or something, and you get all the, the commercials about, you know, uh, different medications and health insurance, and they're targeting certain groups, you know, over a certain age, and the AARP thing. I'm not interested in a discount. <laughs> Joining your organization so I can get a discount? Uh, listen, I'm full of life. I don't need your concept of my life and my aging. You want to give me a free burger, I'll take it, but I'm living a different kind of life. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks mighty increases power. I, I heard Reinhard Bunke say this many years ago. I think it was back in the 90, maybe 97. He said, I'm like a 747, right? The farther I go down the runway, the faster I get. Until I fulfill my destiny, I'm just going to take off. That's a man who has meetings where millions attend. One meeting. Verse 30, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, has nothing to do with age. Don't you ever buy that junk. Verse 31, now here's the verse. Yet those who wait on or wait upon, expect from, look for, hope in the Lord, will gain new strength. Strength from heaven. They will mount up close to God with wings like eagles. I love that. I love, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of it when I see an eagle in flight. Man, they just look like they're on, they're on top of the world, you know? That's where God wants you to be, soaring over the issues that are getting others down. And you're, up, you're flying right over top of them. 
They will mount up close to God with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. Uh-oh. Transfer. God's strength becoming your strength. They will run. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about you in, holy com- in living communion with him. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I guarantee you, I know that every time without fail, when I'm getting weary or tired in my life, it's because I'm relying on my own strength and intellect. And when I begin resting in Him, there's this inner buoyancy. I feel like a new person. That's why Satan tries to pull you back into the the flesh realm. Well, now, how can that really happen? You, I mean, come on, you're such and such an age. This is normal. You know so-and-so. They have this, and you can, you know, that's just the way it goes. And, and all of a sudden, you're back in this natural flesh realm. And God's saying, he who has living communion with me will never get tired. I give strength to the weary. I cause power to multiply in their bones. God's causing power to multiply in your bones today. Multiplication of heaven's power in my bones and my organs. Hallelujah. My body's getting better with each day. With every birthday, our bodies get stronger. Boy, people will laugh at you and call you crazy for that. That's what the Bible promises. Even in the old Mosaic covenant, we see it. Caleb comes to Moses. The only one, two families out of millions who believed God. Joshua and Caleb. They go into the promised land and Caleb and Joshua say, it it is as God says, let's go take it. The whole nation says, no way, we can't do it. We'd rather wander around in the desert and struggle than go into a land flowing with milk and honey than believe God. Caleb had to wait 40 plus years for everyone to die off, but he chose to believe God that whole time. When you choose to believe God, your body gets stronger. His body, he said to Moses at 85, I'm as strong now as I was at 40. For going, I have that same strength for going in, for coming out, and for going to war. Give me what belongs to me. He put a demand on his rights. And he took what belonged to him at 85, full of strength, agile and strong. Is that in the Bible? Am I making that up? I hope you know it. That's old covenant. We have a better covenant with better promises and every promise God has made no matter how many is now yes and amen to us because of Jesus Christ all right let's let's finish this thing hallelujah I like the message verse 31 says those who wait upon God get fresh strength (laughs) I like that Now, this little word here, and you read different translations, some will say wait upon, wait on, hope in, expect from, look to. But this Hebrew word here, man, you study this word out, and sometimes you really got to dig to study a word. You got to look at multiple sources. 
But this word, they will gain new strength, it speaks of an exchange. That they will exchange their strength. It's a very powerful word. They will exchange their strength, and then this word, wait upon. Man, I I love this word, because we think it's like waiting for a bus. No. That's not at all what's being commuted here. It's not just saying, okay, when's God going to do it? When's God going to do it? That's not what it's talking about at all. Let me, let me see if I can capture this. This word in the, in the Hebrew, I don't know how to say it, kavah, Q-A-W-A, it means to bind together, even by twisting like a rope. You ever see someone make a rope and they put several strands together and twist them? And and one of those strands you might be able to break, but you put them all together. That's what this word is talking. He who's bound together with God. In other words, he who has made God's purpose his own. Who's bound together. Now I'm attentive to. It's more like someone waiting on, on someone important to them. Like I'm attentive to someone important who comes into my home. That's what this way, in other words, I'm taking on his purpose. I'm attentive to his wishes and desires because now he's become the most important person to me. That's what this verse is saying. He who binds himself together, him who, who takes God's purpose as his own. It means to gather together with. So he who has taken God's purpose as his own and is walking and collecting and gathering together with God. Let's read this verse with, that, with, some, with those definitions put in there. Verse 31. Yet those who are bound together with the Lord in his purpose, walking together with him, will exchange their strength for his. Does that help? Those who are bound together with the Lord. In other words, you've made a conscious decision that your life is not about you and what you want to do and about what what so-and-so expects from you, but you've decided to give your life to His purpose. You acknowledge Him as your Creator and your God, the only genuine God, and you give your time and your energy and your resources to knowing Him. This is not shallow, it's deep. It's all of you. To those who are bound together with the Lord and His purpose, walking together with Him will exchange their strength for His. They'll mount up close to God with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not get weary. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, You're so good. Lord, wow, You give strength to the weary. You command us to ask what we desire. That's how much you love us. That's how passionate you are about our wholeness, about us being joyful, about us being fulfilled. You multiply power unto those who trust in you. Father, we turn the focus of our lives to you, and we choose to make your purpose our own. To walk together with you to live in communion with you. We exchange our strength for your strength. 
our wisdom for your wisdom. Our provision for your provision. And we mount up with wings close to you. And thank you for being the strength of our bodies, the strength of our mind, the strength of our emotions, the strength of our will, the strength of our spirit. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.